You're listening to. Whoa! Hey everyone, welcome back to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Ri Rayu. And it is December. Uh, we're here to talk about our November book club pick, IQ by Joe Ide. Um, apologies, first off, for the delay in getting this episode out. I am currently um, in China, traveling, like I always do in December, and it's been... Uh, it's been an adventure trying to find the right internet to be able to uh, conduct this podcast with Rira, who's back home in sunny Pasadena. Actually, it's been pretty cold back home. It, it's, it has not <laughs> been sunny. It has not been sunny for the past week. <laughs> oh. Yeah, my friends back home are saying it's like, I feel like a couple of days it's actually been colder over there than here. But then it snowed yesterday, so uh, I think we we have the lead again here <laughs> in Shanghai. Uh huh. Um, yeah. But um, I went to the bookstore district in Shanghai, um, which is right by the Bund, um, yesterday, and it, it was really interesting seeing all the. Uh, they have a lot of classical translations of like foreign literature, um, but not a lot of um, contemporary books. Like I couldn't find pachinko or poppy war or anything um the books that i saw that was um um but i did see a lot of uh assassin's creed novelizations wait what and world of warcraft <laughs> novelizations <laughs> okay like i understand that like the gaming like the pro gaming uh culture there is pretty uh pretty intense but really like yeah. they didn't they don't have a they don't have a chinese uh translation of pachinko like they it's do. translated I everywhere. I couldn't see it. I couldn't find it here. I don't know. Okay. Um, I'll probably have better luck in Taiwan, uh, where the censors aren't as, you know, intense about <laughs> stuff. How are your holidays going? How, how's My your holiday. holiday. <laughs> how, is the, how is the you household holiday season going? Um, I survived Thanksgiving. Uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. And I am dreading the Christmas season. This is... My least favorite part of the year. <laughs> but you know what? That's okay, because 2018 is almost over. Yeah. 2018 is almost over. Like for, a, for a year that has been like pretty solid for Asian representation, it's, it still feels like it's been kind of a crappy year. Like There's been some victories, though, so that's good. Yeah. I guess let's get into it. Um, let's talk about our... November Book Club Pick, which is IQ by Joe Ide. Um, this was a book published in 2016. And there's already there's already three books in the series. I guess it's like it's super popular. Yeah, the latest one, Wrecked, came out in October this year. Uh, and I'll kick us off by reading the book check description. East Long Beach. The LAPD is barely keeping up with the neighborhood's high crime rate. But someone from the neighborhood has taken it upon himself to help solve cases that police can't or won't touch. Isaiah Quintabe, a high school dropout, has an unassuming nature that disguises a ferocious intelligence. Most people call him IQ. Word has gotten around. If you've got a problem, Isaiah will take care of it. His rate's adjustable to your income or lack thereof. But when cash gets tight, Isaiah is forced to take on the case of a rap mongol whose life is in danger. 
and IQ finds his investigation encompasses much more than he bargained for. No one expects a kid from East Long Beach to have what Isaiah is packing, a blistering intellect, an incredible sense of perception, and some serious skills behind the wheel. It all adds up to one major advantage. When you come from nothing, nobody sees you coming. So Marvin, what were your expectations when you were going into this book? Um, well, from the book jacket um, description, I deducted or dedu- I deduced in, that it in, was kind inducted, of a- inducted, inducted. <laughs> that, that's a whole thing in this book, but yeah, <laughs> inducted. <laughs> that um, it was, there was some sort of like um, play on Sherlock or someone, a Sherlock-like um, uh, main character, um, but set in the hood. I guess without knowing what the book was about, I, I wasn't expecting it to be like so focused on South Central. And I mean, upon reading it, like you immediately see what he's like the tone he's going for, and the characters that are going to play a big part of his book. Um, you know, there were like one or two Asian characters in it, um, but for the most part, it was like a um, a very African American character centered um, story, uh, which. Um, I guess I wasn't expecting at first, um, but uh, quickly um, got into. Yeah, it was really su- it was really surprising for me too. Um, I actually knew about um, the characters being almost exclusively black in this novel uh, before reading it because uh, I was recommended to it. I, I was re- recommended this book by a lot of friends, and they're like, "Oh, it's going to seem a little weird." But a Japanese American author wrote this, and I'm like, huh, interesting. <laughs> I was like, huh, interesting. Um, well, I'm not. I- I'm not black, so I can't. I, so I can't comment on like how authentic it is, obviously. But um, I don't know. Like the characters seemed really like tangible to me. Like. Um, yeah, like just the way they talked and just the manner of like because because this is written in an omniscient um point of view where like it's not like first person point of view, uh, you kind of get into all of the characters uh mindset. So it, it was just like written so well. Like the characters were shaped really well. Yeah, and I think um the way that he writes his character's dialogue all, it felt natural. And um, I listened to part of it on audiobook and um, being having it read by a black person definitely also added to characterizations as well. Yeah, um, I actually had to do some digging because I really wanted to know like where uh, Joe Ide got his characters from. Like what like what did he research is he from that neighborhood did he have to like go there and do uh do some canvassing um it turns out that joe ide actually grew up in south central los angeles uh around like the 60s and 70s um his grandparents had bought a house um in that neighborhood during the depression and they were too poor to leave um i think one of joe's brothers uh was actually part of a gang and um it seems like he had a lot of uh firsthand knowledge on on some of the some of like the drug deals that were happening in that neighborhood and gang violence so um i thought that was really interesting yeah um 
I think, I mean, it, it's a big conversation right now. Like who can, like who, like not only can, but who should write what types of characters. And there's a lot of um, discussion from all different points of view. Uh, I mean, we've seen, we've read books where um, Asian authors have written black characters. Um, um, the one that comes to mind is Sorcerer of the Crown, where um, the main character is a black sorcerer. <laughs> um, um, but that was still a, but even then it was a, like, it was still a fish out of water type of story where the black person was the exception to the societal norm. Um, I think what made this book really interesting reading, um, I think what made this story super interesting was that it was exclusively set in like a black, like black America, like the hood um, with, 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 with like the white characters being the exception, like the, the outsiders in this story. Yeah. Um, so, like, there's a New York Times interview that um, New York Times did an interview with Joe Ide, and they had asked him, um, did he ever hesitate to write a book about almost exclusively black characters? And he said, oh, it never had occurred to me. And um, I'm going to say his quote right here. Uh, he said, I wanted to be black, but I knew I wasn't. I wasn't black. I wasn't white. I was way far from being Japanese. So I was a lot of, so I was a lot on the fringe and I was a watcher. I would listen to people, listen to the way they talk and imagine what was going on in their heads. And there you have it. He did such a good job. (laughs) Yeah. I think he did such a good job with uh, getting into his character's mindsets and oh boy, were they, were they characters? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. I'm super curious. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah. Go right. Go right. Go right ahead. Sorry. Oh, um, yeah. I'm, I'm super curious to see what like black book Twitter or, or black the black book community thought of this book. I tried looking for reviews, but um, this book came out a while ago, so it was kind of hard to like scroll down on Twitter, um, and I couldn't really find any um, any substantial reviews to point to. So, if any of our listeners have any like input on this, um, I'm super curious to see what like the the black community thought about this story. Yeah. Okay, so we we can't ignore the fact that it this is loosely based on Sherlock Holmes. I say very very loosely because like there's very few common grounds between IQ and uh, Sherlock Holmes. I mean, uh, one one characters. is that they're like weird. <laughs> they're they're weird. They're outsiders. They notice things. Uh, but aside from that, not much. I mean, he's very much like a Sherlock in the vein of like Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock, right? Uh, well, the thing is, like Sherlock Holmes, he does cases voluntarily. He does it for free, not because. Uh, like because he's curious, right? He has like a morbid curiosity for these types of things, and and whereas with IQ, he solves crimes pretty much for free because of guilt. So I think that sets him pretty much on the opposite side of Sherlock Holmes. Whereas like Sherlock right. Holmes is a sociopath, <laughs> and IQ is a normal person who is trying to pay bills and happens to be really smart and be really good at figuring things out. Yeah. Um, 
the other parallel with um, Sherlock Holmes is I, like, I feel like the mystery itself at the center of this story is also based on um, one of the classic Sherlock Holmes mysteries, um, Hounds of yeah, Baskerville. Yeah, the Hound of Baskervilles. Yeah. <laughs> that was like um, my first, that was like my first hint at like, oh, yeah, okay, shout out to, to <laughs> Sherlock then. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it's also an origin story too right part origin story like one half of it is like what like half the story takes place back in 2000 between 2003 and 2006 where the main mystery takes place in 2013 um, yeah. and the uh, and the earlier storyline was told um, in between the main mystery is more of like how like kid isaiah became detective isaiah um and in between when he was burglar isaiah yes um and I think it was super interesting um, because Joe Ide set his story in like uh, South Central and like in the poor black neighborhood, and he doesn't shy away from what is like a an everyday reality for um, poor black people in in America, especially in in um, South Central LA. It's not something that the characters fear as much as it's a part of like um, living where they live, um, and you know that's um, characterized the most in um, the Watson character, like the Watson analog in this Sherlock story. Um, um, Mr. Dotson. Juan Get Dotson, it? Because yeah. it, it rhymes with Watson. Uh, oh, I so didn't hilarious. get that. Dodson, Watson. <laughs> no, I get it now. <laughs> um, who's like a doctor in, in the way that like he has a PhD in the School of Hard Knocks doctor. And he's more of like... Um, He's a hustler, right? He's like always looking for his next hustle, um, trying to make money wherever he can to like to make a living. My God, he has he has a quote that I really like, and he's just like, "Oh, like you have to be hustling. If you're not hustling, then someone's hustling you." And I was <laughs> like, "Wow, okay, character in a nutshell." Um, I yeah. like him. I really like Dodson. Um, like, which is really funny because he is kind of a sidekick character. And uh, it's very rare that I go for the sidekick in like these, <laughs> in, in kind of like these detective stories. And he also plays that, that Watson role where he balances out Isaiah's um, flaws. Oh, yeah. Like he is constantly trying to uh, dig at Isaiah. Constantly trying to like make him slip up or irritate him to a point where like he will show some kind of emotion, because IQ is kind of uh, know, he's he's very serious, and uh, it's kind of it's kind of like Dotson is trying to make him crack in a way. Yeah, like his his life's goal is to like just once like one up Isaiah. Yeah. Um, I did like adult Watts, adult Watts, I did like adult Dotson more than, um, kid Dotson. Well, yeah, um, (laughs) the thing about this book is it really reminded me that young people can make really stupid mistakes. (laughs) Like even someone like IQ, who is extremely smart, can make a pretty stupid decision such as uh dropping out of school quitting his job go search for uh the driver of the hit and run that killed his killed his brother like there's like absolutely no evidence it's like why are you spending so much time on that but 
um, it's the opposite of what a cold, uh, logical detective would do. Just saying. But also, like, for someone with his skills where he is, I feel like it's something that... Um, and I think this is where, like, the setting really really sets the story apart from other, you know, crime novels where dropping out of school because of, like, whatever reason, like, his obsession with finding his brother's uh, killer um, leads to him being strapped for money. And when you're strapped for money with, like, no education, it doesn't matter how smart you are, right? Um, and it doesn't matter, like, like, for him being so smart without an education, you can really find, like, a high-paying job. So, what does he do? Like he turns to crime to um, to a um, to a keep his brother's apartment, but also b to you know satisfy his need. Like I think he has a need to like prove how smart he is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I really liked how um, like Isaiah was introduced as like this this uh, kind of like Robin Hood figure. Um, for his neighborhood because he he just happens to see a guy kidnap a girl and then he goes on that crazy car chase scene and I'm like oh is this is this what the book is gonna be about is this like is this the case him like trying to catch um, this pedophiliac but uh, it turns out to be not that that case just wrapped up and uh, it's it's a case about a rapper who almost gets assassinated by a dog. <laughs> and like, I was yeah. like, wait, what? Like, what? Well, so I thought that, um, and I think this is where, because um, Joe Ide's background is, um, he was originally a screenwriter. So um, this is kind of like that, um, you know how in, when you write a pilot, or like when you're like introducing uh, a, a cold character. open, yeah, yeah, it's like a cold open where like okay, so this is the tone of what this guy is, you know. It's like um, going back to the BBC Sherlock, like the first episode, like opens with a totally unrelated case where he comes in just solves it, right? It's kind of like mm-hmm. this is this is his character. This is like this is his world. Um. But yeah, the um, the actual case being um, someone wanting to kill um, Cal, uh, who is a rapper under the name uh, Black Knife, right? Um, and how I really liked how um, he's actually like a very confused and emotionally damaged guy hiding under a veneer of like being a hardcore rapper. Yeah, um, it, yeah, it was quite funny that he was kind of in like a midlife crisis. And, and like the fact that he was writing these, uh, really self-loathing rap songs was pretty funny. Like just reading the lyrics for them was like hilarious. Um, I think one of my favorite scenes with him is when he's burning his, uh, possessions on the patio and being yeah. like, I'm free, I'm free. And then he looks at his stuff being burned and he's like, oh no, <laughs> like <laughs> my stuff, my stuff. <laughs> Well, I mean, um, there's also that scene at the end where he's, like, literally about to get himself killed because he got lured out by um, the assassin, and he has no idea what's going on. Yeah, there's a lot of comedy in this book, and I and I really do appreciate that, because if it was just, like, a straight-up noir, then, I, like, I feel like it wouldn't sell. Like, these characters yeah. wouldn't sell. 
And I I like that um um the mystery itself, like the the actual mystery itself, was like even though it was half the story, it was pretty light. It's kind of like an action movie. Like this is what, this book was like two stories. Like one half was like um detective like adventure romp, and the other half was like more of like a teen drama. Yeah. I'm not sure oh, which I liked more, to be honest. <laughs> I know there, there was actually, yeah, there was like a lot of action in in the the mystery part of the novel. You know, there was the part where um, the the assassin who is um, Skip Skip, who is you know like cartoonishly evil, tries to hunt down Isaiah and his home. Right. Yeah, that scene was like pretty much written like a movie. Yeah, like and- you could pretty much see all the camera angles. Like, oh, this is where. His this is where Isaiah's back is, and this is where he's like peering into, and just like it's very cinematic the way that Joe Ide wrote that scene. Yeah, and um, you know he was saved by a chicken, which is awesome. Also, R.I.P. Chicken. R.I.P. Chicken. Well, it's meant <laughs> to be eaten, right? <laughs> I th- I think like one of his clients gave him that chicken. Yeah, it was to be, a, uh, to was be eaten, right? Like not just like oh here have a chicken as a pet. It was like here have have a chicken and then kill it and make some chicken, <laughs> right? <laughs> it was payment for one of, one of his cases, um, for sure. And then I think he just ended up raising it as a pet. I mean, chickens are pretty much dinosaurs. They're pretty <laughs> scary. Um. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, we kind of went off the rails there. I'm on cold <laughs> medicine, by the way. <laughs> so if and nothing makes sense, uh, I, I blame it on on my uh, medicine. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's well. I mean, we've talked a lot about the the um, the actual case that he's on, which is half the book. Um, the other half, interspersed between the chapters, is are the flashback chapters where you you see where isaiah comes from and i guess it also sets him up to be kind of a tragic character too right like a young person who made a bunch of bad decisions because of um a combination of his circumstance and his emotions yeah yeah if you if you think about it like what if isaiah young isaiah got therapy after his brother had died what if he had the financial and emotional support that so many people of privileged classes get. Like, he wouldn't have made a lot of those stupid decisions. Yeah. And, you know, you you see that through his character, the the character of his older brother, Marcus, who's in the book for, like, half a chapter, right? (laughs) Who sees a spark. Like, he, he sees the spark in his brother, in Isaiah, and, like, basically forces him to be to live up to it and even his ghost um his imagined ghost in isaiah's head is always like reminding him of what he could be like his untapped potential and um yeah like you said like not like the system like the world kind of fails isaiah in that um here is someone who obviously could be anything he wants to be um but instead is you know uses his genius for like not only personal gain, but like for, for crime, right? Yeah, and it's like more tragic in a sense that Marcus tells him when he, uh, tells Isaiah that he wants him to do something good 
with his genius, that he has potential to actually do some good in this world. And the fact that like after Marcus is gone and Isaiah literally uses his talents for crime, like, yeah, that's, that's really tragic if you think about it. Um, I yeah. think anytime when a young character who shows potential to be something great, to be, um, to kind of elevate themselves from their peers and they don't hold on to that potential or they don't, I don't know, they don't jump for the opportunity to, to make something of their, themselves. It's, it's sad. It's probably one of the saddest things you can see. Speaking of education, this is just like a random thought that just popped into my popped into my mind. But um, there's that one. There's like this one line that Marcus says to Isaiah, and he says, "Oh, you got like a 98 on your test. Well, you you think those Asian kids are <laughs> are proud <laughs> that they got a 98? No, they can go to Harvard by just like." By just breathing, you have to do better. I, I don't remember the exact quote, but it was like, <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was just like really funny because I'm like, oh, this is written by a Japanese American author and <laughs> a subtle dig, subtle dig at Asian parents. Um, but yeah, going back to the um, the the origin story part of this book, like we mentioned, the um, the mystery part of it was more like a like an adventure mystery crime movie. Um, this was more like a crime story where you have someone who is obviously meant for more than a life of like hustling in the hood, right? Um, tragedy falls on him and he turns to crime and it escalates to the point where like there's a tipping point and then they have to face the consequences, right? That's that's like the story of like um, Better Luck Tomorrow or uh, Scarface, or uh, even Goodfellas, right? I, I I haven't watched this film, so I can't say accurately. But the movie Dope. Oh yeah, kind of. Yeah, because like it's like a um a black character who is heading for like an Ivy League school, but he's like competing. Like small hustles become bigger hustles, become actual crime. Yeah, which becomes like which becomes a life threatening situation, <laughs> and part of that is um. The character of again Dodson plays a huge part. Like in the future, Dodson is the sidekick. Where in the origin story part of it, Dodson is kind of like the antagonist, right? He's the one who, like, he's already a hustler, a high school hustler, and wants to figure out how to make. He, he sees that um, Isaiah is super smart, and wants to find a way to hustle him, right? Mm-hmm. Make money through him. Like he's kind of like the. Um, like the Quincy and like he's a small time crook who thinks he's super smart. Like he thinks yeah. he's a criminal mastermind, even though he's like not. Yeah, like the thing about um the book going back and forth between past and present is like when you're starting out, I'm like, okay, like like when when Dotson hits up Isaiah for like, hey, this is like a payday case, like you'll get your money if you do this case. I was just like, okay, it's just like they they had a beef, but it's probably not that big. Like in my mind I thought it wasn't that big. But then as <laughs> I kept reading, I'm just like, oh no, Dotson was like 
like they did some stuff together. They like they did some criminal things together. How did you let this guy come back into your life? And um, same thing with Deronda, because in the beginning she seems like a really funny character, and then you see her in a, a flashback, pretty much. And I'm like, yeah. no, she she was like the beginning of everything going wrong. Um, <laughs> Yeah, she's so, like, like the um <laughs> the third party who like messed things up. Like yeah, she was like the catalyst. So it was just like it, it was very interesting seeing uh past self and future self like side by side. Like not only do you see Isaiah as like a teen and how he is now, but also like how <laughs> Dotson um has kind of matured through um through his uh criminal mistakes, I guess. Because they make a lot of they make a lot of mistakes. Yeah, and it's funny that he becomes kind of like a like he's still a hustler. Like he's still trying to sell. Like I love that um the scene where he goes back to his old school and he he pretty much sells. Like, have you seen Parks and Rec? Oh yeah, yeah. Like he's selling Tom Haverford's like rent a swag, rent a swag. Yeah, but, I thought that uh, was like I thought that was hilarious. Oh yeah, I like totally thought run to swag when when I read that part. Um yeah, like I didn't expect the teen drama to go into uh go into like heists. You know? Oh. I mean, like, if you think about it. First, that's not like the first like quote unquote smart crime that pops into my head. Well, I like mean- I think counting cards or like <laughs> <laughs> or like pyramid schemes or something but but like just like straight up heists that's that well i mean, I mean they weren't straight up heists they were like quote-unquote smart heists right because they're stealing things that on the surface might look like petty crime but like behind the scenes was actually super smart right where they're only stealing high value stuff they're stealing stuff that normal people don't steal like instead of stealing instead of robbing banks or stealing jewelry right they're stealing pet supplies and hair extensions actually now that i say it out loud i'm not sure it was super smart but it was no. still very like <laughs> um cuz like the thing is like they they rob these like high value merchandise and the the way that they make money is by slowly selling it on ebay and this is the reason why, like, Isaiah and Dotson, they start getting into, um, in, they, they start getting into arguments because Dotson really wants his money faster because he spends his money faster. Whereas, like, Isaiah, he is trying to ration the money. And, um, I don't know, just selling things on eBay doesn't really seem like, <laughs> Like a good way. <laughs> I don't even think he's like rationing the money. I think he's just he just doesn't spend it fast enough. So he doesn't see why he needs to make it that fast. And to him, because he's like the logical thinker, um, selling on eBay makes he's pretty much ensuring that he gets market price for it. Um, because Dotson could sell it faster, but he's also like gonna get less money. A, he's gonna get less money. There's a middleman and. Um, there's more, more variables um, thrown in, right? Because part of why Isaiah wants to like um, do things like slowly and methodically is also because he wants to make sure that there aren't any people that could betray them, 
Yeah, like Deronda, like th- that scene where Deronda uh, is watching television and like the news anchor is just like, yes, we call him the uh, whatever, whatever they were called, the the ram, uh, th- the ram thieves, because they have like a battering ram to break <laughs> doors. And and she's like, wait, are those like you guys are them, right? I'm pretty sure yeah. you guys are them. And then like she pretty much lives in that house until Isaiah leaves yeah it's like why why such a bad decision (laughs) yeah like um dotson selling all of their merchandise in a garage sale or like a yard sale yeah i was just like why (laughs) now now people know like where they got all this shit from and uh, i don't know well that was also where like Again, like being a teen drama, this is this is where um, the two like I don't know even know if they're f- friends at that point, um, but they tr- they now try to like because they're in business together, they now try to exert power over each other. Yeah, um, that eventually leads to like Isaiah just like walking away, and then oh, I, was gonna say, I, w- I was gonna say it oh. leads to them. Um, to like a full gang war in their neighborhood. Yeah. And all of it because Dodson would not admit that like he he had that chip on his shoulder, right? I mean he decided to like go to um their not handler, but like their the the dealer's boss. Yeah. And kind of like and and kind of rob him of his money and it's just like that that's also i i don't think he thought this through no well it was deronda's <laughs> idea too right and she like she plants this idea in his head and then realizing that like he's probably gonna get himself killed finds isaiah to go save them yeah well at that point isaiah is just like oh no like he has the security card to like the storage to the storage place so if they catch him he'll they'll catch me and everything is over yeah so i don't know like (laughs) it it was kind of out of uh (laughs) self-preservation yeah so isaiah ends up you know killing the drug dealer and his guard and then igniting a gang war between um because Dodson thought it was a smart thing to do by hiding his identity by pretending to be one of the uh, um, rival gangs. Yeah, pretending to be like a Mexican, right? Yeah. And then that gang war erupted and people, innocent people died. And um, that's what's been weighing on Isaiah's conscience for the longest time. Uh, you don't, And you don't really see... Um, Dotson wrestling with that guilt um but I, I guess um the ending of the book it's revealed that Dotson is also like wrestling with it yeah right um what did you think about how everything wrapped up because i kind of felt like i wrapped up a little super cleanly but i guess that's how like that's how sherlock stories work is you figure it out and like it wraps up um right? I mean, 
This isn't a Sherlock story because it's not Sherlock Holmes. Um, very, right. very different characters. But for the ending, well, here's the thing for, for like the mystery part of the book, like I already guessed who the, uh, who the person was who hired the hitman. And I was just like, okay, just like waiting for them to like, for for like IQ and Dotson to like catch up. So I guess I enjoyed the teen drama more. <laughs> and since that got more of like a firm conclusion, like I, I appreciated it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm making sense, but um yeah, and I also assume that Marcus wasn't killed in a hit and run. I thought he was murdered. So I was like, oh, okay, well, the ending, spoiler, like, he finds, like, Isaiah finds the car that um, his brother got hit with, and I'm just like, why is that there? It's probably because his uh, brother got murdered. (laughs) So, I mean, I don't know. I just made a lot of presumptions, assumptions, and... Well, I think that's, like, the plot of the second book, right? I don't know. Um, in the second book, I heard that there are Chinese gangs, and it's in oh. Las Vegas. <laughs> hmm. Very interesting words, <laughs> like very interesting descriptions for a. Like I can't really wrap my head around it. But then again, this book had a hit with a giant pit bull. Yeah, what did you? We didn't really talk about Skip yet. Oh um, yeah, he's kind of like, like a big deal in this book. We should probably talk about him. <laughs> well, he's like, like he's characterized as like a sociopath, right? But he's like, isn't he like one of the only like white dudes in the entire story? I don't know if he's a sociopath because if he was a sociopath, he would know how to like handle people. He would know how to act in front of people and be able to manipulate their feelings more. Um, I think he just might be a psychopath. I'm not sure. But I just know that he's not a sociopath. Because um, uh, he cannot empathize with anybody. <laughs> there was an entire chapter dedicated to his backstory, though. So you do learn a lot about his past. Um, how his, I don't know why he changed his name, because his original name was kind of badass. Like, like Skip isn't really a good hitman name, but Magnus... I feel like that's, like, if you're going to be a hitman, you should be Magnus. I, like, when I was reading about, like, when when Skip came into the picture, the entire time, I'm just, I was just like, why does he have so many guns? (laughs) Like, why does he have so many guns? And then it came to light that he worked at a gun store, and I was like, oh, that's why. Um, What did you think of, like, um, spending so much time with him? I like I learned a lot about dog breeding reading yeah. this book. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, you can you can do that. You can you, you can breed dogs so that they're actually bigger than their original like breed." Like that I I don't know what the science is beyond, behind that, but I'm guessing that Joe Ide did some research and I'll I'll call it legit for now. <laughs> I mean, you learned about dog breeding. I learned about hair extensions. Oh, what about hair extensions? And how, like, Russian ones are apparently more expensive. 
Oh, you mean um, virgin hair. <laughs> virgin hair as in, like, hair that hasn't been chemically treated. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else can we talk about? Uh, da, da, da. Um, oh, 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 oh. We, we haven't talked about the person who actually hired Skip. Bobby Grimes, so, um, the record producer. <laughs> yeah, Bobby Grimes, who like uses his used his um um driver slash bodyguard to uh to hire Skip. Um he was <laughs> I mean I guessed it from like from like the very beginning. I'm like, oh okay, like someone's trying to assassinate the rapper. It's probably the record producer. Like, it's. See, I didn't get that because it felt like he really want, needed him to go record his record to make money, uh, because he was being trying to get bought out by the bigger conglomerate, right? So, I actually didn't guess it. So, you're better at mysteries than I am, or crime novels. You know, like so many mysteries have like have a situation where like, yeah, art becomes more valuable after the artist dies. So I just figured, hey. You want to earn more money than kill the artist. I guess. And like they characters realized that while talking about Tupac and how he his records were more sold more when he was dead than he was alive. Um, which is like the perfect way for those characters to like come to that conclusion. Um I thought it was fun that um the rapper Cal was like characterized as like an artiste type. Similar to oh, how Tupac yeah. like I guess how the real Tupac was where he was like super into like making sure his art was perfect and like records, I guess he recorded like thousands of tracks, but only picked like the few that he deemed worthy of showcasing, which is super like artist trope, right? Yes. um, I wish I was that trope. I wish I, I was able to make that much work and just pick the ones that actually look good, but no, I feel like that's like that's the road to like Cal's like downfall is being so like so artistic. Like part of his character that was really like endearing but also like kind of sad was like he was a very like sensitive introverted guy who had to play his role or else like people will like talk shit about him on the internet and in tabloids. Yeah. Uh speaking of tabloids I really liked his ex-wife, Noelle. Yeah. And, you know, there was... um Part of a mystery novel is, like, the misdirects, right? And she was there as the misdirect, her and um, Dotson's cousin, who were having... I guess they were having an affair, right? That was the, that was the insinuation. Oh, Anthony and Noelle, yeah. They, they yeah. were having an affair. So um, there was, like, a secondary conspiracy happening completely separate from the murder conspiracy... But there, you know, because it's a mystery and everything comes out, it, it all got jumbled together, right? So that was interesting. That was a good misdirect. It got me a little yeah. bit. It was just funny uh, reading the fights that Noel would get into with uh, Cal. Just like <laughs> how, <laughs> like how they would like just destroy things and like toss one over the window. Like it. Like I don't even remember like half the things that that actually like happened between them. Cause it was just kind of in, um, it was just kind of like in flashbacks, but yeah, I just remember thinking like, wow, this couple is very 
overdramatic. And, uh, and the fact that, uh, like, Noel goes on to these talk shows and kind of plays it up, it, it's pretty funny. Yeah. She was, um, I kind of wish we got more of her. And this is something that I noticed um, while finishing the book is there was a noticeable lack of, like, strong female characters. Um, and maybe part of it is just um, what Joe's, like, the type of character that Joe is, the type of character the author is comfortable writing. Um, but, like, altogether, the only real character with, like, a substantial role was Deronda and Noel. Yeah. And that cardboard cutout of Margaret Cho. <laughs> um. Oh, there was another Asian woman character, though. There was the um, the hotel manager from um, Isaiah's first case as a detective. Oh, right. Yeah. She was like a Japanese-American like hotel manager. We remember all of the Asians because uh, just like watching award shows has like primed us for just like, oh, my God, <laughs> it's like there's an Asian person. Or when you're watching a show, you're like, oh, there's an Asian person. I didn't think yeah. that I would be doing it for this book by an Asian author. <laughs> I mean, know, I say that sarcastically. It's, it's story. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I mean, you just you, you said yourself that the second book features an Asian gang. So I imagine there's a lot more Asian characters in, in the second book of the IQ series. Um, See, the thing is you can write whatever you want. Just do your research and treat your characters like they're actual people. And I think you will be somewhat on the right track. A lot of the industry reviewers gave this book a lot of props for like, for the setting itself, because you don't see a lot of like, um, you see a lot of crime fiction from, like the hood, but you don't see a lot of like this type of detective fiction, right? In terms of like, right, you think of like the great detectives in like literary canon, you have your Sherlock's, you have your Poirot's, but you don't really see like, there hasn't been a character like Isaiah Quint- Quintabe. Although uh, I think the series got optioned as a TV series. So, yes, um, it did. Might, it actually you, got optioned as a TV series before it actually got sold as a book. Really? Yes. Well, I guess if you're back around a screenwriter, you probably know people who can make that happen. Um, no, that is not how it happened. Really? <laughs> uh, what happened is um, Joe Ide, he, he wrote this book, and he had no connections to anyone in the publishing industry except for his cousin who, you know— who happened to write like several se- several nonfiction books? I think I'm not sure, but his cousin was from a higher educational background, and he had hit up his cousin and said, "Hey, I wrote a book. Will you read it?" And he just kind of expected his cousin to just blow him off and not really respond back to him. But then his cousin responded back to him like pretty quickly and said, oh my gosh, your book was really good. Let me get you in touch with my agent. And then the agent read it and the agent was like, please let me sell your book. And then she sold it to, uh, she sold the TV rights first Wow! because it was like more, I guess it was like more appealing as, um, as like a television adaptation Usually those I mean, things get, like, optioned before the book even gets published. Okay. I mean, the, the thing is, like, there are so many Sherlock adaptations in, in TV and in movies and, of course, like, in books. But I guess, like, television-wise, there 
there really isn't that many detective stories about um, a quote-unquote detective who isn't properly trained, isn't from a family that comes from money, and is solving crimes because they need the money. I mean, Isaiah does it for, like, because because of, like, moral reasons, because he feels guilt and he feels like he has to atone for something. But um, but he takes the, re- the but, but but he takes the cow case because he needs the money. Yeah, and he also charged <laughs> someone money for one case because he was like that guy looks like he has money and he seems like a jerk, so he could probably yeah. pay me. <laughs> you don't really see yeah, characters like I that. Was, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to figure out his like gauge, right? Like, are you charging this guy just because he's a jerk? <laughs> I think I think it was a mixture of both. It's just like, okay, he's a jerk, and also he has money. I can yeah. milk him for all he is worth, or at least like <laughs> an amount that he would be willing to to part with. That was yeah. one thing that I noticed about like Isaiah that I was like, I was just like, ooh, bad bad negotiation skills. But maybe I'm a bad <laughs> negotiator because well, he's maybe, also maybe like... I came in too early. But because he's well, like, very firm. <laughs> There's also that scene where Bobby Grimes tries to pay him twenty thousand to like just let it go, and he refuses because, like, he's his loyalty is to his client. So yeah, he has principles too. This is principled, I guess. Principles don't get you paid. <laughs> <laughs> like I can just imagine the 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 TV series is about him like balancing his need to like live with his need to you know help people. Yeah, um, I guess um, final thoughts. Do you think you'll um, do you think you'll be picking up the next two books? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, I'm really curious as to what this Chinese gang in Las Vegas will entail in a case. Um, mm-hmm. Also, I want to know if I'm correct in my um, in my prediction that Marcus was murdered and not killed in an accidental hit and run so yeah i think i will pick up the rest yeah no i I enjoyed um reading slash listening to this story too it was actually it was like a really really fun read yeah i think i think it was um it was nice to go from dear america to iq i don't know why (laughs) but it seemed like a very like easy transition from one book to the other maybe it's because <laughs> I mean, they're both relatively like breezy reads but i mean it was a breezy read but it also like it, it is about privilege the lack thereof this is said in the world from the perspective of people who don't have anything and, and i thought that was a cool way to establish a detective style character yeah <laughs> Well, I'm really um, I'm really glad that we read a a crime fiction novel by an Asian American author cuz the last one that we read um I guess like What Lies Between Us isn't a crime fiction novel, but um Yeah, I don't I don't think we read any crime fiction novels by actual Americans. Um cuz like Keigo Higashino is Japanese and his work was yeah. translated. I guess I guess like the genre of crime fiction is so broad that it, well, it can I mean, really go it, either way. 
I mean, it's also like a subgenre of crime fiction about genius detectives, right? Yes. Because Higashino, that one was about、um, Galileo, right? Yeah. Who is a scientist detective. Yes. So, yeah, I guess that'll do it for our discussion of IQ by Joe Ide,、um, the birth of a new fancy detective in literary canon. I'm interested to see where this character goes. Like, if, if it does get turned into a TV show, if, it become, if he becomes like, just as、um, popular as like, the other great detectives. Probably. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. Never know. So, Rira, what are we reading for the month of December? We are reading Gabrielle Zevin's Young Jane Young. And I am 50% of the way through it, and it is wonderful. It is <laughs> so good. <laughs> like, I did not expect to read that fast in like a number of hours, but I, yeah, it's really enjoyable. It, Really highlights、um, the ugly patriarchal side of politics. And it's really timely considering the Me Too movement that,、um, that's been happening for a couple of year na- years now. And、um, just like the writing is very witty, and it, it's just a really great book so far. So, I'm excited for everyone to, to read it and then I can talk about it. Hopefully, I'm when I'm not、too. on cough medicine. Hopefully, <laughs> when I am not like half delirious. Um, Before we go,、uh, we did get some nice emails from some of our listeners.、Um, thank you so much for, for tuning in. And、um, letting us know that you enjoy what, what we do. It's, it's always great to、uh, hear from you. Uh, yeah, so we got an email from Stephen Hong Son, and he wrote Just wanted to reach out and say, I really enjoy your podcasts. I teach and publish, I teach and publish scholarly criticism with the field of Asian American lit. And then he sent us a bunch of links uh, to uh, Asian American literature stuff. <laughs> That did not sound very scholarly on my part, but <laughs> <laughs> it's all right.、Um, but it's like, that's really cool.、Um, we are not experts in literature. Neither of us have literature degrees. And、no. it's really nice that we're getting a thumbs up from someone who does. Yeah. Yeah.、Um, Our next shout out is to KH. They wrote that. Uh, they're a new listener to the podcast and they love it a lot.、Um, this, this part is a criticism to Marvin.、Uh, they wrote, however, I'm, mis- I'm listening to episode 30 and I noticed that Marvin interrupts Rira a lot. Please let her talk more. There's two hosts, so there should be equal airtime for both hosts.、Uh, this is probably not an issue anymore, but I had to say something because it's getting annoying. Anyway, please keep doing what you're doing. I can't wait to finish my novels and hear what you guys think. Thank you. And they also recommended a bunch of、um, books by Asian and Asian American authors, including、uh, Paper Menagerie、uh, by Ken Liu,、uh, J.Y. Yang's novels,、uh, Julie C. Dow's Force of a Thousand Lanterns, and et cetera. Noted. Noted.、Um, I don't think Marvin interrupts me. I think, he, I th- I think it's just like a mic thing. 
right? Most of the time. Um, it might be how I edit things because I tend to cut it so that it sounds like we're like talking over each other or like talking. It's just yeah, like, it, it could be that, and also like I, I, I have a really weird cadence when I talk. I slow down and I kind of trail off at the end of my sentences, so it can seem like he's interrupting me, but. He's not <laughs> like I'm just letting him end my thought and just pick it up where uh, where I'm leaving it off most of the time. <laughs> I'm not a very articulate person. I really shouldn't be a podcast host. <laughs> no, you're fine. I'm doing fine now. You're perfectly fine. <laughs> it it helps that you know we talk about interesting things and interesting books. And I mean, this podcast wouldn't exist <laughs> if we were hadn't told me that she wanted to start a book club. So. Yay. Uh, and our final shout out is, um, is from iTunes. Um, our son 2002 wrote Asian American teen who love podcasts, books and learning. Keep up the good work. Nice. Thank you for leaving a review and rating. <laughs> I greatly appreciate it. I'm so happy. We don't really get that many reviews these days. So um, new ones are always welcome. Um, and thanks to everyone writing in. Um, for those of you new to the podcasts, um, please, please, please join our Goodreads groups. Um, that way you can also um, put in your uh, – that way you can participate in our discussions of our monthly book club picks, either by adding to discussions of past books or upcoming books. We always um, – Riva puts up a thread for each upcoming book. And if you do post your thoughts before we record a discussion, we will um, read them and um, discuss your points as well. So um, it's a fun way to get involved with the podcast. And we always love having – just because Riva and I are just you – know, we are two people um, and – Sometimes we don't cover all the perspectives, so um, it's always great to have more, more, more people sharing their thoughts. Um, we also got featured on a list of literary podcasts not hosted by white dude bros um, by Electric Lit, um, and that was really cool. I'm excited that I'm not included in the list of dude bros. It's very, very important. Um, Congratulations! Yes, thank yes. you. <laughs> Thanks and, to uh, our um, contributor friend Lily Rugo for pointing that out to us. Yes, I, I wonder how she even stumbled across that. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We don't. We don't even have Google Alert for us. So I mean, that's probably something we should do. Uh, <laughs> probably. Uh, um, but um, on that note, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Um, thank you, Rira, for skyping in and making it happen while I'm. Um, abroad in uh, in China. Thank you for the beautiful Instagram photos that you've been posting and making <laughs> me <laughs> making me have mad FOMO. And <laughs> no thank <problem>. you f- <laughs> and thank you for editing this podcast. Hopefully, by the time it airs, it's um, it resembles a conversation because there were a lot of uh, technical difficulties and a lot of. Um, they don't need to know that. Don't yeah, they don't need to know. They don't everything need to know was perfect. Behind the scene. Everything was okay. Everything was great. Um, what you're so listening to, to right now is exactly how we talked in real life. 
I want to give a quick shout out to the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts um, that we're uh, part of. Um, it's a great group of podcasts that you should check out, um, including shows like The Hollows Bruce, The Clubcast, uh, Fresh Creatives, The Korean Drama Podcast, and Saturday School. You can find all of those great programs by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, uh, don't forget to check out our website, booksandbulba.com. And again, join the aforementioned Goodreads group. All right. Yeah. Um, that's it. On that um, note, yeah, we'll, call it, we'll call it a podcast. Um, thanks again, Reba. And I'll see you later. All right. Keep reading. Hey, I'm Bill Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, We've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace.